Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 214 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is the founder of Longplay Software and a full-stack developer, having worked at both mega corporations and startups. She enjoys sharing her knowledge on topics including Git and release management, test-driven development, Agile and Kanban, and many more. And she believes that the difference between a good software engineer and a great one often has little to do with code. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Lindsay Paget. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Lindsay, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about Longplay Software and, and how that came about? So I had actually reached some personal financial goals of mine um, a few years ago, and that really, it, it was sort of my own prerequisite to be able to try some more quote unquote risky uh, entrepreneurial ventures. <laughs> I'm obsessed with entrepreneurialism in the sense that um, it's it's something I aspire to. I think I've kind of gone down the road of um, is that something that you're born with or is it something you learn? And for what it's worth, I never felt like I was born with it. So it was something that was very intriguing to me and a little bit dangerous <laughs> in some ways. For what it's worth, not to get into uh, too personal, but I'm I'm a single parent, which makes that all the more frightening as far as having your income uh, fluctuate, right? So that's something that I felt like I was ready for, and I've kind of been exploring it ever since. And I don't know that um, that it comes naturally to me, so I'm really trying to get out of my comfort zone. And uh, but as far as actual development work, I continue to do full stack development mostly JavaScript. Um, I do a lot of mean stacks. So that would be Mongo, Express, Angular, and Node. I sort of come from a, a back-end developer experience. And then um, it's something where, you know, I've been finding my own work. And it was interesting when I, when I started this, uh, some of my colleagues were implying or asking, you know, oh, you're, you're, going to build an empire, huh? Like, <laughs> let, let me, you know, like, like, how's your empire going? And I'm like, you know what, actually, that's not what I'm doing. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty much just me and my cat in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I think it's one of those things that maybe gets um, sensationalized or, or maybe glorified by the media. Um, and for me, the right size business has been me doing doing my own thing. I will sometimes be a subcontractor for other companies. And then if I get a large project, I will find subcontractors to help me. So it's just, it's a chain, you know, and, um, and the projects have been smaller in nature than what I've done in a, in a corporate environment, obviously. Uh, but I've been really excited to go in that journey. Yeah. And you also do quite a bit of speaking, I understand as well. Yes, that's right. And that has actually been a pretty core piece of, um, of what I've been doing at Long Play Software. I would like to be frank about this because I feel like uh, we don't talk about it enough. Um, you know, again, public speaking can be sort of 
glorified. And it is a lot of fun and a great challenge. Um, But for many, many years, I did not get paid to do that. Uh, I would say I've been doing public speaking for about seven or eight years. And I initially started it because I had a company that supported me doing that. They really wanted me to get out there and have that that FaceTime and, you know, show my expertise. But also I was terrible at public speaking. (laughs) And I knew that it was something I needed to get better at. So maybe you see some parallels here. If I sense that there's something that I'm really not just, I don't have the gift, uh, quote unquote, I'm going to figure out how to make how to make strides in that. And most of it is just by practicing. And the first year or two of public speaking was, was rough. You know, I learned some hard lessons. And so anyway, that um, I do think that's helped me a lot here because it, as of 2019, um, this year I decided, you know, I'm not going to take any more um, speaking opportunities that are not paid above and beyond travel and expense. Yep. And that's, that's been really helpful for me in managing my time and money. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it has, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, uh, so Lindsay, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not know and perhaps should? So I've been thinking a lot about this, and um, I think I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to others. So understand that like no one has this really figured out. Um, I think we all can grow in this area, but it's a matter of offense versus defense. So this is something that I think if I'm not keeping up with things, I find myself sliding into this, which is, um, you know, LinkedIn or email or other kinds of opportunities. If you're doing the work and you're getting yourself out there, if that's your goal, I should say, (laughs) then opportunities will come to you. But you can spend a lot of time playing defense and um, just taking or rejecting the opportunities that come to you. The ultimate goal is to get into a place where you are playing offense. So for example, if you're on Twitter, that doesn't mean just reacting to other people's follows and uh, messages. It means getting out there and and finding the people you want to be connecting with. And that takes a little bit of time. And uh, it, it also takes time to transition. If you feel like you're always behind the eight ball, it takes time to transition into um, moving forward because that that's what's going to get you to your goals as opposed to helping other people reach their goals or just taking whatever comes along. So how do you do that yourself? How do you get into that sort of um, mindset? Well, uh, one of the the things I've done is sort of um, weaned myself off of email. (laughs) It's it's a lot harder to do than it is to say, but um, I have followed uh, one of the recommendations of the four hour work week, which is to not check your email in the morning. Uh, So I have really gotten into the habit lately. And, and by this, I mean, really only within the last six months, you know, I feel like this was, this was the big hurdle for me to only check email around like 11 or 1130 in the morning. Um, because otherwise, even if I check my, my email in the morning and I say, Oh, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to get back to that person. It, it steals my brain power. Right. And I can't focus on what I need to focus on because I'm thinking about other people's needs. There's a lot of evidence, some some studies that sort of suggest that women actually have a harder time with this as far as like putting yourself last. 
And so this is something that I think does apply to me, <laughs> gender based or not. Um, I want to I want to make sure I'm putting myself first as far as my priorities, my goals, my time. And then, um, you know, lunchtime is a good opportunity to sync up with what other people need. And that happens to be email for me for the most part, but it also includes Twitter and LinkedIn. I spread those throughout the week. So I actually put a label on my calendar. I just live and die by the calendar. So um, on, I think it's Monday and Thursday, I check Twitter and I, I kind of go out and do it, more networking there. Tuesday and Friday is LinkedIn. And then I think Wednesday is either off social media or other things that I care less about, like Facebook or something. Right. Okay. So you're, you're very organized in that respect then. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever uh, accused me of not being organized. Right. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's it, it's interesting. So, like, the entrepreneurial goals that I have now are really about, you know, there's the looking and the leaping, right? And uh, I am great at, at looking and planning and organizing. And, you know, that's sort of like my the project manager side of my, my software brain. But then there's this part where you actually have to do it. <laughs> and, you know, it all, I think that's something I've really had to work on for myself is um, getting out of planning mode and into doing mode um, because the best laid plans are great. But if you're not following what's on your calendar or your journal or what have you, it's all for naught. Yep. Okay. And Lindsay, can you tell us about your worst IT career moments and what you learned from that experience? So I hesitate to use the word worst. I mean, I've had <laughs> I've had some some loops thrown in there, you know, some wrenches in the equation, and those have been challenges. And maybe at the time they felt like my worst moment, but in the long run, it's good to understand that those are those are opportunities, right? <laughs> it's hard to remember that when we're in the moment and it feels like a dumpster fire. But specifically, I would say the the one that threw me for the loop, for the biggest loop, was when I um, had, had signed up for, with a company and there was maybe three weeks between the time I had signed the paperwork and I was going to start. And I had been told that I would be working on a backend application. And um, when I started three weeks later, I was actually um, supposed to be leading a front end team. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not the same thing at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I could have quit or raised a fuss or something, but I just sort of assumed the fake it till you make it strategy, <laughs> uh, if, if that is, if you can call that a strategy. Um, Backend development had previously been my area of expertise, and I felt very uncomfortable, to be honest, in the front end. And um, I think that that was just from not doing it enough. And once I really dived in there, and I also had my team members sort of, um, you know, I, I created an environment on the team that was open to collaboration and teaching each other, and that included me. So I think as a manager, it's it, I had had previous manager experience, and I think that's kind of why that happened. They were like, oh, well, you can lead a team. Sure, why not? And it was a bit of a switcheroo, probably, <laughs> to be honest. But once I was there, I, I thought, okay, I'm just going to make the best of this, and I will create a, a, an environment on my team where people feel comfortable learning from each other, and that includes me, yep. because you lead by example. 
So, you know, I wasn't hesitant to ask questions. I think nothing good comes of an environment where, where you're afraid to ask questions. In fact, I had mentored, this is a different issue, but you know, just wanted to throw it in. I've mentored someone for years now. And one of their biggest hurdles is feeling comfortable asking questions. And I know for just every fiber of my being tells me that this is the thing that holds this person back. Because of course, you know, if you ask a question up front, it's usually no big deal. But if you wait two weeks and you ask the question, then people kind of tilt their heads and they're like, what have you been doing this whole time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so that's bad. And, and that obviously wastes the company's time and money as well. If you, if you struggle or, and you kind of thrash on things too long when really it, it's just as simple as asking and saying, Hey, I don't understand this. Please help me. Um, and, and so I guess the trick of that, the silver lining of that bad experience was that I found a, a good balance of fake it till you make it. And also asking questions, you know, you can kind of do both. I, I think sometimes we think it's black or white, but I think there's a sweet spot there where you, you come into it thinking I'm, I'm confident in my abilities. I will figure this out, but I'll ask questions if I'm stuck, you know, and, and that's just how to approach things in general, but especially when you feel like you're in over your head, as I did in the, at that time. <laughs> Indeed. So you talk about obviously fake it uh, till you make it. Do you do you think that's more about your own mindset, if you like? So you're you're faking it to yourself to sort of give yourself that confidence, rather than actually sort of faking it within the environment and and projecting a false persona. Yes, absolutely. It's more about your own feeling of worth and competence than it is. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a bad idea to, to give people the impression that you can do something that you can't. Um, but again, maybe it just depends on time and place, right? So for example, um, and I learned this when I kind of got into consulting, you know, you, you probably want to be a little bit cautious about what you say in front of the client, that when the client is around, the answer is always yes. <laughs> and and then you go back to your team and you say, okay, how are we going to make that happen? Yeah. And then if you have to go back to the client at some point, you know, that's fine. And I should clarify, there's when I say the answer is always yes in front of the client, that's not literal. It really just means projecting an air of confidence and can-do attitude. Yes. And that's really what that fake it till you make it attitude is all about is just, you know, anything is possible. Like I always joke, if we can put a man on the moon, <laughs> then surely this can be done. It's all a matter of time and money, right? Yeah, often is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Lindy, can you tell us about your IT career highlight or greatest success? I feel I feel really lucky that I've had a lot of successful projects. But I would say that the one that felt like there was the most glory in it <laughs> probably was in the in the public speaking arena. Yep. I got to travel to Oslo and speak at NDC there. And I'm not I, I know it's Norwegian Developers Conference, but I, I know they now have um, conferences all over. They do. Yes. And yeah. And, and I don't even know if Oslo is still in there. I would assume so. But 
that was just an amazing opportunity and one that I felt like I had earned in some sense, having worked on public speaking for for so many years before that, but also still humbled by it (laughs) because I had never spoken internationally. And I don't know, like... It's, it sounds very silly, but it meant a lot to me. Um, there's this part in, in a talk that I give where I'm asking the audience about this, this figure. And the figure is Santa Claus. And I had taken the time to like understand, well, wait a minute, in Norway, what it, it, do they have Santa Claus? Like, what is he called? What does he do? Like, I tried to understand, you know, so that it, if you have a joke, for example, you can't you can't necessarily port that over. You have to translate it a little bit. Yep. And I was like, Oh, that's Yulinesen, you know, that's um, uh, Santa Claus in Norwegian. And so it was, uh, or I guess that was Dutch at the time I was talking about Dutch Santa Claus. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, you know, the fact that a few audience members laughed and like, we all got it. I don't know. It just made me feel like, okay, this is going, I'm doing this and and it's going well, you know? Um, and so that was, even though it may not have been the biggest audience I had ever spoken to, it felt like my biggest accomplishment in, in the public speaking arena. Yes. Have you done any more um, international speaking since then? Not since then. I've been given opportunities and I even turned down one this fall <laughs> in Berlin. And sometimes I beat myself up about that. To be honest, getting away uh, with with my family obligations, getting away to speak abroad is is a challenge. And so I've actually really just focused on here. I love travel um, and I really love international travel. But I also have started looking at public speaking differently. I used to think that it was like a vacation. And oh, by the way, I had to give a talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like that at all, actually. It's a, it's a lot of work. And, you know, you're kind of expected to be there at the social events and things like that. And I I sometimes felt frustrate, frustrated that I, I would take the time to go that far and have it be a beautiful place that I wanted to explore and then not feel like I had enough time to do that. Um, again, balancing my family obligations, I couldn't take weeks uh like i wanted to and i was trying to pack a few a lot of things into a few days and it felt crammed and it didn't feel like a vacation um i i've started looking at those things very differently like you know what i think i'd rather travel and speak in in the states which is local to me and even then the travel can sometimes be extensive but then save my money and go on a vacation like I want to go to Japan or Argentina, you know, and, and that, that way it will be a real vacation and I won't be working during that time. Neither way is right or wrong. That's just what works for me personally. And I know plenty of people, um, although I will say most of them don't have children, <laughs> uh, that, that do travel abroad to, to speak. And then they take a week or two to enjoy a nice vacation afterwards. And for what it's worth, when I was in Oslo, I did that. I took my oldest daughter and I actually hired a babysitter in Norway. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they just hung out with her around the conference and then we had a vacation after. So that was nice. It was doable, but, but yeah, it's, it's a time stretch for me. Lindsay, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? 
I know this sounds probably eye rolling, but AI, I think is very interesting, very challenging. Um, I haven't done a lot with it personally. It's just not my my area. And maybe that's why I'm partially enamored by it. <laughs> it still seems very magical to me. Um, I have some colleagues. Uh, Heather Downing is a good example yes. of somebody who does a lot with uh, like natural language, uh, Alexa, things like that. I think there's a long way to go with that. Um, they say that you know, natural language processing is one of the most difficult. And if you think about it on the AI front, you can't use uh, the power of AI if the computer can't understand what you're asking it. So that's like, that's step one in this whole equation of like unlocking AI's power. So I think it's really exciting. Um, I follow another um, really great person in this space. She actually is um, a doctor and her name is Kate Devlin. She studies the intersection of human sexuality with robots, essentially. (laughs) And I've joked about this in the past. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes it makes people kind of squirm in their seats. But I do truly believe that this is one of the areas that we're going to see artificial intelligence evolve first is in that space. <laughs> well, that'll be interesting to see. <laughs> so, yeah. Way. Yeah. And, you know, it, and it sounds so risque, but, um, you know, talking to someone like Kate Devlin, uh, although I only met her briefly and just got to, got to pick her brain, I was fortunate enough to do that. It's amazing the, the application she points out, you know, people with um, different kinds of disorders and how it can help them. It's it's not all bad, you know? So, Lindsay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. Yes. Yes. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I may be unusual in the sense that I was drawn to this from a pretty young age. When I was about 13 years old, I got a letter, (laughs) like a letter letter, uh, from the Boy Scouts of America. And to this day, I have no idea if they knew I was a boy or not (laughs) a boy. Like, I, I don't know if that was a mistake, but they had solicited me to join this program at a local software company because I had done well on on a math placement test. And math was something I typically was very good at. And I guess to back it up even further, the reason why I love math and why I love computers is because it's pretty clear whether things are working or not. You know, another, another field that I was drawn to was medicine, but it's so it's so mysterious still. I mean, there are some amazing things kind of being unlocked in the medical space, but, um, you know, you can give a patient their medicine and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't, you know, and you don't really have that kind of uh, ambiguity in computer science. No. You have an algorithm, you have data, input, output, like that's, it, it either works or it didn't work. And I really kind of am drawn to that, um, in a way, it's, I was going to say simplicity. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I, I have also um, mentored and done a lot of like workshops for women uh, learning how to code. And, you know, some people either like that or, or they kind of view that as a real obstacle. Um, but it's something that I was always really attracted to. Like you have to tell the computer exactly what to do. And if you do it right, 
it'll do exactly what you say. (laughs) What is the best career advice you've ever received? So this was actually in a situation where I, um, I would get on these weekly calls with a client and then I would kind of turn around and explain to the team like, oh, you should hear what the client said this week, you know, and sort of letting it roll downhill, <laughs> if you will. Um, and so the advice I, I received, which w- I did not solicit this, but it, it was needed. Um, my manager at the time said, Lindsay, um, a good manager absorbs heat and radiate sunshine. And uh, that was something I probably needed to hear. I, I think that it was, it's something that most good managers do or strive to do is to kind of protect their team from just the drama or the gossip or, or whatever, and, uh, or just general negativity and try to keep things positive for the team. Yes, that's good. Yeah. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? You know, I, I think about this because it comes up every once in a while in in the public speaking arena. I feel like maybe it's because of the glorification there, but there's this assumption that every single opportunity that comes to you, you should take. And I've had colleagues uh, in public speaking, most of whom are quote unquote, more successful than I uh, say things like, um, oh, well, you know, if you if you really want to make it, you've got to do this. Or if you you're not going to be a serious public speaker until you do X. And I appreciate their advice. (laughs) And I don't know if it's right or wrong. Maybe some part of it is is true. I feel a little miffed after I have conversations like that because they never asked me what I wanted. And I like to be in charge of my own destiny. And so uh, when we were speaking earlier about international speaking, like, you know, I'll get there uh, when I have the time and the flexibility to do that. But until then, I'm not willing to make the trade-off. But to imply that I don't know what I'm trading off is a little bit condescending. Personally, I, I feel like, uh, like no, no, I understand what I'm giving up here. If I say no to this opportunity, I understand that that might be a quote-unquote bad move, but it's the right move for me right now. Exactly. Yeah. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? Certainly, the first five years of, of my career, I can tell you, I had a really hard time asking questions or asking for help. So the the thing we talked about earlier, where if two weeks go by, and then you ask the question, it's a bit late. <laughs> um, that was something I struggled with personally. And maybe that's why I can help others with it now. <laughs> so I feel like I, I've been there and I understand. For me, it wasn't so much a, a fear of asking questions. It was more like stubbornness. I wanted to figure it out by myself. You know, I am one of those people that if I have a crossword puzzle and I have an answer key, I am not looking at the answer key, (laughs) you know, and uh, I feel that that that's defeat. And, uh, and I guess I've, I've learned to take it easy on myself a little bit, give myself a little bit of grace every once in a while. And uh, I'm still like that. I still like to figure it out by myself, but 
I'm also a little bit more business minded in the sense that, hey, time is money. And when you're on the clock for your company, it's their time and money, you know, so let's do whatever's most efficient for them. And even if that means humbling myself and saying, you know what, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you please help me? And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I am trying to figure out how I can get larger projects we talked earlier about offense, defense, and I have a network of people who I work with and those projects are, you know, they come and they go. I would say that they're not super challenging from a technical standpoint. And I have tried to, I'm still trying to figure out ways of getting larger projects either on my own or with them, and things that are really going to stretch uh, my technical abilities. I, over the years, I think one of the things that has helped me is this, um, this sense of when I might be getting stale. I really want to ensure that that doesn't happen. (laughs) And so I can't stay still too long, if that makes sense. Yep, it does. And What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Communication. A hundred and ten percent. I hate it when people say 110%, but it's true. Uh, it, it is so, so important. And, you know, in my bio, I say the difference between a good engineer and a great one has little to do with code. That's yes. really what I'm referring to is communication, collaboration, and teamwork. Um, yes. I have had a lot of success, not not at every company, but in general, I've had a lot of success at work because I I feel like I have that piece. I, I'm it's the opposite of ego, right? So if you're if you're not concerned about your ego, then you're more open to collaboration. And I feel like that's something I've excelled at. What is sometimes frustrating as far as acquiring a new job or a new client is that that just goes without saying. You know, the communication piece is sort of a a non-starter. I mean, it, it's I was going to say a non-starter. It's um it's just assumed that you will know how to communicate and plan and collaborate and all of those things. So on technical interviews, for example, it can be tricky for me because all of that is off the table and they just want to know what's the most efficient way to sort this data set or something like that's, you see what I'm, what I'm saying? They're really two different things. Yes. Um, But I, I believe that the technical part can be learned where the communication part maybe also can be learned, but it it's a lot harder. Uh, that just goes down to character versus skill. Yes. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? It's definitely, like I said, something you want to keep a pulse on because I, I have a, an itch period of time. <laughs> like I would say a year is about the maximum amount of time that I could go uh, with just doing the same thing over and over again. And so that it just having that kind of rule of thumb can help. I think sometimes we we like get complacent, right? <laughs> and uh, and just by having a time box on it to say, hey, you know what? This what I'm doing right now is not really a challenge for me, but I just need this. I'm I need this time to just coast or um, kind of just stand in place. 
And then after a year is up or maybe six months or whatever you feel is right for you, I'm going to start picking up the pace again. Now, as far as picking up the pace, I mean, I'm very fortunate in that because I can speak at tech conferences, I get to absorb a lot of great information there just by being there and kind of poking into other sessions. That's one way. Uh, Another way is just to kind of keep a pulse on the technologies that align with my stack. So for example, you know, Angular is something I'm pretty, I'm pretty well versed in and would like to stay well versed in. So of course, I, I follow them on Twitter, I read their blog posts, things like that. And then things that I want to move into. So for example, Google Cloud, you know, that's something I'm starting to lean toward. And so that's something that I'll watch a video, maybe once a week, and then try to practice that skill sometime during the week. You obviously have to, just like anything, you have to make time for it. It doesn't just magically appear in your calendar. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Well, I am glad you asked because away from technology, I would say those are key words. I uh, <laughs> I am notoriously very bad at social media, and I don't know if that's like a borderline millennial problem, um, but <laughs> it's it's something that I feel like is important to my mental health. I mean, just to say how it how it looks to me, um, I have to not be on all the time. I I am actually an introvert and I really need that time to recharge. So I have core time in the evening, um, about, I would say six to 9 PM, uh, where I don't check technology at all. I really, I put my phone down and I never look at it. And as far as what else I do with that time, it depends on if I'm with my kids, you know, making dinner, helping them with homework, etc. I, I love to cook. And so cooking is a great, a great way to kind of unwind um, and do something tangible. Not to mention it's healthier and cheaper than eating out. So that's kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I, I actually sew. <laughs> I do, I do like domestic things. I like to do things that are tangible. So yeah, I mostly do that on the weekend. Um, in addition to chores and all of those things, I, I do a little bit of sewing. I uh, work on my house. Um, my dad is actually like helping me work on my deck right now. You know, it's always something when you own a home. So um, it is. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is both good and bad. But but yeah, I think being away from technology is key. And then earlier I mentioned, you know, about 6 to 9 p.m. is my no tech time. I will glance at my phone just to see like, okay, what's coming down the pipe tomorrow? If I respond to an email in the evening, I will not send it right away. I will schedule it to be sent using a Boomerang or something. Yep. Uh, I send it the next morning um, because inevitably then you get into this cold war of email where, you know, like people keep pinging you right before bed. Um, so if I do respond to something, I'll, I'll send it the next morning. And then again, I turn off my phone and I try to read right before bed. Yes. And Linda, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? This industry has a tendency, uh, whether we mean to or not, (laughs) we are all included here, um, to sort of intimidate others. And I think that 
we do a great job, for example, of setting up boot camps to teach people how to code. But what we don't do a great job of is, um, is helping those individuals follow up, like following up with them to ensure that, that, that they make it into the industry. So it's almost like there's the deeply entrenched, I've been coding since I'm 13 years old type, and, and I'm probably in that camp. And then the newcomers, you know, who have never written a line of code and don't know what a for loop is, and, and we're teaching them, what, no matter their age, uh, gender, what have you. So bridging that gap is, is super important. And the way that I have done that, and I, I, would, I would encourage everyone to either be a mentor or mentee or pop hopefully both. <laughs> the way that I've done that is is through mentorship. So I have about three people that I have continued to mentor regardless of whether I'm at the company or not. So it's essentially like a one-on-one or a coffee with them. And um, I would say it's challenging to find someone to be your mentor as you progress throughout your career. So unfortunately, I don't have a mentor right now. I had one last year. um, And I'm trying to, you know, I have people I can go to with different questions, but to have somebody you can meet with regularly would be would be key as well. So don't don't feel like you have to give, 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 you should be both giving and receiving in the mentorship circle of life. Um, But that mentorship is extremely important. And if you are not getting that in your current workplace, find someone who will do it for you. Because I know too many people who have managers who are supposed to be doing one-on-ones and either they're doing them and they're not valuable or they're not doing them at all. And that leaves people feeling really stranded and like they can't go somewhere else. And that's just not true. You can go find your own mentor, but it's but it's on you to do that. It is. Yep. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? LinkedIn is good. Um, I guess it's the typical LinkedIn URL. So linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Lindsay Paget, And it's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-P-A-D-G-E-T, all one word. You can also find me on Twitter at Lindsay Paget. I will warn you that it's not a lot of tech. I mean, you know, it's like whatever's on my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> I can do whatever I like. So there. Uh, and then um, <laughs> I also have a website. It's lindsaypaget.com. Great. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. All right. You too. Thank you so much, Phil. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice, and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer community Facebook group you'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. 
thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.